You're listening to a classic business podcast as heard on Classic 1027. 1027. Mining companies have continued to enjoy the gains in commodity prices, assisted by a weaker rand as we've seen platinum basket prices increasing and investors turning to gold as a safe haven investment amid concerns about the COVID-19 pandemic and global trade tensions and money printing all over the place. In 2020, the total market cap of JSE-listed mining companies increased to 1.28 trillion rand from 840 billion rand uh, the year prior, a 439 billion rand or 52% year-on-year increase from 2019, largely attributable to the increase in the market cap of uh, companies within the PGM and the gold sectors. And it's one of the key highlights from PwC's 12th edition of SA Mine, which is a series of publications highlighting trends in South African mining, was released today by PwC. Ahead of the Joburg mining in Darba, which gets underway in Ananda tomorrow and has for all intents and purposes usurped the Cape Town in Darba as the event where the real issues affecting South African mining are discussed. ESCOM and uh, security of power supply remain one of the major headaches for the mining industry. Uh, ESCOM, uh, listed as South Africa's biggest economic risk by Goldman Sachs, needs taxpayer handouts to pay the interest on its rising 488 billion rand of largely government-guaranteed debt. And despite the return of load shedding in recent weeks and the continued financial strain it's putting on the economy, ESCOM does say that it's made progress in its turnaround strategy in recent months. Uh, that despite uh, probably reporting a third consecutive loss uh, this year. To talk about the role that ESCOM plays in the mining sector, the progress being made to recover outstanding debts and solve that balance sheet crisis and uh, root out corruption and do all of those things the, that the CEO has on his uh, particularly large plate. I'm joined now by CEO Andre Dereta and Andres Rousseau, PwC Africa Energy Utilities and Resources Leader. And uh, we hopefully will later on be joined by Peter Major uh, as well. Um, Andre, for many businesses who are still managing the effects of load shedding and aren't inside ESCOM, they would want to know what's happening at the coalface uh, inside Megawatt Park. What progress is being made to restructure, for example? Can you just give me a few successes that you've had on various fronts over the last while? I think, uh, Michael, thanks for the opportunity of talking to uh, some of the work that we are doing at ESCOM. We are um, making progress on improving our operational stability, although that uh, may not appear to be the case, having uh, regard to the load shedding that we've unfortunately had to implement. But we uh, have launched a very detailed and um, dedicated maintenance program. Uh, that program should start showing results from April of next year onwards. And once uh, we get to September of next year, we should see a step change in reducing the risk of load shedding going forward. So that that uh, is from an operational stability perspective. Uh, we're also looking at our income statement, uh, cutting our costs. Uh, we have implemented a voluntary severance program for some of our senior employees uh, in order to keep our headcount down. And we are also looking at opportunities to reduce some of our primary input costs, and that obviously includes coal. Uh, furthermore, we have been successful in engaging, uh, unfortunately, through the courts with NOSA in order to address some of the regulatory decisions that have been made, which have led to a 350 billion rand shortfall in our revenue. And that uh, has been a huge burden on us and the 
court successes that we've been able to achieve have been instrumental in creating a pathway forward to where we are able to charge cost-reflective tariffs. The balance sheet remains a major challenge for us. Uh, the debt that you referred to earlier is, uh, is a big issue. We are involved in a number of discussions looking at inter alia uh, green financing. You're involved, uh, you're aware of the discussions that have been going on at NEDLAC. Uh, progress is being made on that front as well. And then you spoke about restructuring. Uh, we've been uh, successful in implementing our three divisions, uh, generation, transmission, and distribution, setting up the divisional boards, uh, appointing a managing director for each of them. And I hasten to add these were internal appointments, so no new executives added. And I think that that has led to um, a step change in our culture as a business. Uh, and that's that's been one of the elements that I've been trying to drive very hard in Eskom is to focus on how we can improve our business discipline and making our decisions based on data and numbers and financial analysis. And that, that of course, talks to the fifth element, which is turning the culture around. And uh, you can imagine that after 10 years of uh, capture and corruption, turning that culture around is a, a big effort, but uh, we're fortunate to have a foundation of very competent and capable Eskom employees that we can leverage uh, to assist us in turning that around. And obviously, very broadly speaking, um, lots of very complex uh, and separate plans that all form part of this greater whole of positioning ESCOM uh, in, in a future fit manner as a utility that can serve not only the mining industry, but South Africa as a whole. And we'll, you've touched on several issues, which we'll come back to. Andres, uh, from your perspective, uh, just to bring this back down to the mining report that was released today, and um, uh, Andre is going to be one of the keynotes speakers at the Joburg Mining in Daba. What are the highlights of this year's SA mine report, apart from that headline figure, uh, and as investors will know, uh, the market cap of the resources sector has been a standout success on the JSC, where most others, maybe bar Nuspass and one or two others, uh, haven't really performed. Yes, Michael, the mining industry has performed exceptionally well over the last five years, really, coming off a very low base. Um, and it's outperformed the JSE All Share Index um, on a total shareholders return basis over the last five years, two years and one year, so impressive. Um, EBITDA going up by uh, 53 billion rand. That's not a small number, it, it's a number that can create a meaningful difference for mining companies. And on the back of that, the mining companies almost doubled the taxes that they pay to government, direct taxes. And we know direct taxes is only a small portion of what they contribute to government. Um, there's more coming through from employee taxes, royalties, and, and the like. Um, and then shareholders were rewarded with uh, a more than doubling of, of dividends distributed to them. So fantastic performance. Um, I think the, the big success for the mining industry, though, was the way that they could step up to the plate in terms of the COVID challenges. I think mining companies really performed to the front line in terms of the communities that they operate in. They were able to pay uh, employees' salaries even though they were locked down. Uh, I think it's fair to say that if this happened, COVID pandemic happened five years ago, the industry wouldn't have been able to do the same. Um, but for very disciplined uh, um, practices over the last five years, it was able to turn itself around and strengthen balance sheets and is now sitting strong. 
and ready to support the country in its growth efforts from here. One of the key issues for mining companies has been input costs uh, and rising energy costs, certainly chief amongst them. Uh, what does your report say on this front? Yes, it's um, one thing if you increase revenues because of nice commodity price increases, but if you leak all of that through the expenses side, it doesn't help that much. Um, we, we know that uh, expenses have gone up. Uh, salary payroll is still the biggest share of, of expenses for the mining industry. Um, but fortunately, a fairly stable environment at the moment with three-year deals signed for, for most uh, employees last year. So that certainly helps. Um, consumables in the mining industry is, is commodity-based as well. So if commodity prices rise, you tend to see that input costs also rise. We had a bit of anomaly this year with the oil price coming down, and that will certainly support our open cost operators that going down. With Andre on the call, when electricity input to the mining costs, and, and you'll know this uh, very well, is um, depending on the type of mine, but in excess of, of 10% of total operating cost. So it's a huge input cost. Um, when we started this publication in, in 2008, um, that percentage was sitting closer to 5%. So a reflection of, of how costs have increased. Um, but the, the, the true cost of electricity is really not, not only in the, the unit cost that mining companies pay, it's also the, the shutdown cost, the, the reliability of, of energy to the mining sector is, is absolutely key and a big challenge. And therefore, mm -hmm. we're encouraged mm -hmm. with what Andre has said, um, the turnaround plan is certainly something that the, the mining industry will welcome. Andre, to that point, what can ESCOM do to expedite the support of mining companies wishing to build their own generation assets? And uh, Anglo Platinum's one here, Sassel's another, uh, both of which are in the process of uh, procuring new renewable. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Michael, yes, South Africa desperately needs additional generation capacity. And we've been uh, saying this now for a number of months. Uh, we can fix what we've got only to a certain extent, but certainly not enough to enable us to, to weather uh, peaks that occur during cold snaps uh, or when uh, we, we suffer from incidents of wet coal, other uh, disruptions, much as we can try and manage those. We just don't have enough surplus capacity left in the system to keep uh, the lights on at all times. And that's obviously evidenced by the, the incidents of load shedding. And therefore, what we would really welcome is for uh, those companies that have the wherewithal to generate their own electricity to also supply excess electricity into the grid. Now, unfortunately, this is not a decision that we can take. Uh, we are the designated buyer, so we are the party paying the bills at the end of the day, but we are not the entity that negotiates those contracts. So there's a, there's a nurse determination that needs to be made. And once that determination is made, then the IPP office, which is part of the Department of Mineral Resources and Energy, they then negotiate the contracts. And we are the recipient of, of that uh, negotiated contract. Mm. But we have indicated quite clearly to uh, government, but also to the Minerals Council, that, that we encourage investment in additional generation capacity. We believe it's in the national interest for mining companies to be allowed to do so. So you would then support mining companies building that power and uh, buying that surplus from the IPPs if it, the IPP office uh, gave it the go-ahead? Yes, there are, there are, I think, two clear conditions that need to be satisfied. First of all, it needs to be at a reasonable commercial tariff. I think that, that speaks for itself. And then secondly, uh, it needs to take account of 
the system requirements. You know, if the idea is for an independent power purchaser or a producer to deliver that electricity into the grid at three o'clock in the morning when we don't need it, uh, then obviously we're not going to be interested in it. But with those two, I think, obvious riders, uh, we would welcome it. The other big issue, uh, and the several big issues. Uh, one of the biggest issues is obviously the, the balance sheet issue, Andre, and the debt. And um, uh, there's obviously a lot of talk on the table. There's the NEDLAC process. And I'm sure you're going to say, well, I can't say too much because there are all of these processes going on. But there is a solution on the table that was proposed by Treasury and originally, I think, Tobias Bischoff-Nimps about selling off coal power stations with those power purchase agreements attached to them, uh, which are clearly valuable. Um, how much uh, consideration is this particular idea getting in the various fora in which the ESCOM balance sheet is being discussed? I think if you look at the notion of selling off some of uh, our coal-fired power stations, you've got to look at what you are likely to get for them. Uh, and, you know, forget about uh, political and ideological considerations around uh, whether or not we should privatize these stations or allow for um, private investors to come and take an equity stake in them. Uh, if you look at the power stations themselves, the average age of those power stations is now 39 years. They've got significant environmental liabilities attached to them. Uh, they have not been particularly well maintained, which is part of the reason why we're now having to do catch-up maintenance. So uh, maybe someone like Andres from an accounting firm would be able to tell you that if you do the DCF valuation on these power stations, they are not particularly attractive investments, particularly having regard to the current tariff dispensation that does not cover the uh, full normalized cost of running those power stations. So uh, under the current uh, dispensation, they are just not that attractive, frankly. Even with those uh, power purchase agreements, as, as suggested by, by National Treasury? Indeed. Andres, from your vantage point, uh, 488 billion rand headache uh, for ESCOM and the country. Um, what are your thoughts on a potential restructuring or solution to the ESCOM balance sheet crisis? Yeah, Andres is spending all his time on that at the moment, so, so I'm sure um, he, he knows better answers on it. The, the reality is, and, and I think Andreas said it, if, um, if we split generation, distribution and transmission, um, what we see in Europe, and, and I know we're not Europe, but um, really the power utilities are running transmission there and, and generation is left up to the private sector. Now, we can only incentivize the private sector to um, take up these assets or build new assets if the return is, is fine. And, and Andrea said it at the moment, the coal plants return just uh, doesn't make much sense. Those power purchase agreements had lots of value in it when coal was trading at 100 dollars a, a ton. Now we're sitting at, at 50. I'm sure it, it's not as um, lucrative um, in, in terms of value. And and globally, we believe coal has probably reached its limit or its, its maximum demand a, a couple of years ago. Um, it's perhaps not that much value in, in those uh, uh, um, the the coal purchase agreements that that's in place at the moment. Um, I think it's fair to say that the renewable energy space will, in the long run, replace what we're seeing on, on a coal-fired uh, basis. But it's uh, about a just transition and uh, 
it's not something that can happen overnight. And it would be interesting if, if Andre can comment on ESCOM's view on renewables and mm. um, where he sees um, ESCOM's role in the renewable space. Um, is, is absolutely right. A lot of mining clients, a lot of uh, companies, a lot of our clients are busy with either studies around um, putting up their own renewables or is in process of developing those. Um, and it will make a big difference to the input. Um, I, I think the, the one challenge around renewables is, is storage. And, and that's mm -hmm. a, an answer that, that needs to be addressed. And, and again, um, I think ESCOM has got very unique and potential solutions with some of the old um, coal-fired power plants to convert those into mm -hmm. big batteries in, in essence. Mm -hmm. um, so on that point, then, Andre, uh, just to bring you in there, what, what is your thinking uh, in the medium to long term with regards to ESCOM's role uh, in the renewable um, uh, sector? Yeah, I think Andre says absolutely spot on. Uh, there is a real energy revolution taking place globally. Uh, the cost of uh, renewable electricity generation has come down um, by orders of magnitude since um, the 1980s when the technology was, was, was first really commercialized. And we're now seeing photovoltaic bits of 1.35 cents per kilowatt hour um, US dollar cents. And this is, this is an extraordinarily low number and is very competitive, even if you add in the cost of storage, which Andres quite correctly points out, is something that people very conveniently forget about when they talk about renewables, because the sun doesn't always shine and the wind doesn't always blow when you need the electricity. So you have to have some sort of buffer capacity. And that adds to the cost. Uh, batteries are still very expensive, the efforts of Mr. Musk notwithstanding. And we therefore need to uh, gradually phase in, in a way that does not create socioeconomic havoc in our coal mining communities, uh, this new opportunity that we've got. And I believe if we as a country play our cards correctly, we can use the energy demand that we've got and the electricity generation shortfall that we've got to add uh, new capacity, attract new foreign direct investment, and potentially also mm -hmm. add local manufacturing capacity. But this requires a lot of integrated uh, policy coordination and alignment, and uh, those those discussions I'm I'm glad to say are now happening at uh, very senior levels in government. As you will have seen from the president's announcement after the uh, recent ANC uh, gathering, where he uh, issued a release, uh, very much confirming that that this is now the thinking in government. So that's mm -hmm. that's extremely encouraging. And it dovetails with the conversation I was having with uh, the Minister of uh, Environmental Affairs, Forestry and Fisheries, uh, Barbara Creasy, on our lead strategy, our uh, low emission development strategy, and the fact that this has to be done in a way where we can access um, green funding in global capital markets uh, to potentially help uh, with ESCOM as well. On the issue of, uh, of price, and this, this issue of a death spiral has uh, been spoken about at, uh, at length, Andre, the fact that as you increase tariffs to get more of a cost-reflective tariff that you're looking for from NERSA, and uh, we see a spate of recent court actions going in your favor, you push up the, 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 pr the, the price and the cost to a point where you start to see energy-intensive users migrating away from ESCOM. How do you ensure greater stability and predictability of electricity prices over the next decade so to keep those energy-intensive users 
on board. The cost of unreliable electricity is far greater than the cost-reflective tariffs that we are asking for. If you look at the cost of self-generation using uh, diesel generators, for example, that typically works out at in the order of 4.50 to 4.60 per kilowatt hour. So that's, that's extremely expensive. Um, and in that context, if Eskom has uh, allowed the space to uh, put in place cost-reflective tariffs, and we think that that equates to more or less 1 rand 30 per kilowatt hour uh, as, a, as a fairly cost-reflective number. And if we're allowed to catch up on the uh, revenue backlog that we've had due to various NOSA decisions, then we should be in a position to have uh, far more reliable electricity supply. Will that encourage some users to um, engage in what is known as grid defection? Possibly. But we think that um, at, at, at 1 rand 30 per kilowatt hour, our electricity costs compared to global benchmarks is still going to be certainly in the bottom quartile. Speaking of costs and cost-reflective tariffs, where do you still see the majority of uh, those efficiencies and, and cost harvesting inside the business? A lot has been said about uh, employee costs and the fact that uh, the World Bank came out of the report saying uh, probably overstaffed by about a third. Others say it's the coal costs that have been inflated after 10 years of corruption and state capture. Where do you see the bulk of the costs that you can still strip out of the business so it is a fair cost-reflective tariff and consumers are not paying for inefficiencies? Yes. So uh, the, the, the answer to that uh, question, like all good questions, is all of the above. And it means that we have to uh, continue with uh, natural attrition in our headcount, voluntary severance programs. Uh, we want to get to a level of about uh, 39,000 employees by uh, financial year 23. We think that that's going to be uh, a reasonable base for us to to work on. Uh, so that will have resulted in uh, ESCOM shedding over a period of some four years, some 7,000 employees without resorting to Section 189s, which I think is, is, is quite an achievement that uh, if, we, if we can deliver that. Uh, coal cost clearly is an issue. We have done extensive benchmarking on our coal cost and we've identified some seven coal contracts that we believe are egregiously priced. We are in, in engaged in discussions and negotiations with those coal vendors and it's only one of those seven contracts that is a long-term contract. The other contracts are all short-term and are about to expire. So um, the, the coal cost in and of itself is not uh, that big of a challenge for us. I think if we then look at some of the other elements, uh, procurement I believe is, is a a uh, huge bucket of savings that we haven't properly explored, just addressing the waste that still takes place in the procurement space, the ESCOM premium that we pay for uh, capital projects, uh, big opportunities there for us to save cost and uh, for us to, to be far more businesslike in how we uh, do our procurement. But of course, we need to do so under the uh, watchful eye of National Treasury and the Public Finance Management Act. Andres, uh Industry, mining companies at 1 rand 30 a kilowatt hour, what impact do you see that having on uh, the broader mining community? Do you see that increase in grid defection? Um, no, I, th I think the electricity has as big a cost input to the mining companies it is. Uh, it is, as Andrea said, reliability is the key 
effective for them and that won't um, that won't entice them to do anything else the reason why they are putting up solar farms at the moment is on the one side to get um, green energy for the carbon taxes that at the moment is still low but will be much higher in the future and I suppose it remains to be seen whether ESCOM will pass on those carbon taxes once um, phase two of the carbon taxes comes in and then it, it becomes a different ball game in terms of it um, so the it's not only on the procurement cost of electricity but there's a carbon tax element to it that mining companies are certainly mm. taking into a Count at the moment. I think the real cost um, is in the beneficiation space where we've essentially lost um, almost all our chrome smelters. Um, we don't have a manganese beneficiation industry. And, and that's really where reliable energy that's cost competitive, you know, we shouldn't say cheap, but it, it should be cost competitive with the likes of Malaysia and the rest of the world where these things are currently being processed. Um, if we can and get reliable and cost competitive, then we can rebuild our um, beneficiation industry, which can make a real difference to the value that the mining industry contributes to the country. Right, just as we've got a minute to go, Andre, timelines. I think the, the entire country cannot wait uh, for a final roadmap in terms of the balance sheet and how we're going to repair that particular risk, uh, which is the risk number one in the, in, the, in the economy right now. What sort of timelines are you looking at? So we would uh, wish to conclude the legal separation of our transmission business by the end of next year. And that will enable us to establish uh, what is known as an ITSO, an independent transmission and system operator. And we think that, that is going to be the catalyst that will unlock significant new private investment and generation capacity. And once that takes place, then of course, uh, the generation shortfall can be addressed. ESCOM CEO Andre Dureta, thank you very much for your time. Andres Rousseau to PwC's uh, Africa Energy Utilities and Resources Lead. A very uh, interesting time for mining, which has proven to be resilient through COVID-19 and uh, the progress in uh, ESCOM's uh, restructuring and sorting out the balance sheet issues. As long as uh, that remains on track, uh, it certainly looks like things are uh, on the up in South Africa's mining sector.